Welcome to Theology Talk. The goal is actually pretty simple. We just want to think God's thoughts after him. So if you have questions about what the Bible actually says, or you've got some fear, anxiety, and worry about what's happening in our world, and you want to know what God thinks so that you can think rightly and do rightly, this podcast is for you. Last week, the internet, I think, actually broke when Shannon Sharp uh, interviewed Cat Williams on his podcast, Club Shay Shay. Uh, I got to be honest with you. I'm a sports fanatic. I, I love comedy, uh, but I don't typically listen to these types of podcasts. If it was fantasy football, things like that, absolutely. And then all of a sudden, my phone started blowing up. I started getting messages from all my friends. who were like, hey, have you listened to this podcast? And so I opened up. I was like, Y'all want me to listen to almost three hours of a conversation between Shannon Sharp and Cat Williams? I'm like, I just don't know. But uh, the more I began to see it, and honestly, when I saw, like, we're talking about millions of views in a matter of hours, I was like, you know what? I'm actually intrigued by what's taking place. And so uh, I was working out, and I decided to listen to it while I was working out. And y'all, I'll be honest, I was shocked. I was shocked for a couple reasons. One, um, Cat Williams consistently refers to Jesus and the Bible, and he frames his entire conversation around um, truth and lies, around the powers of uh, good and the powers of darkness. And, and what I found the most fascinating is how many times Cat Williams explicitly just mentions Jesus. Uh, and so I began to think about the sheer fact that there will literally be millions of people both Christians and non-Christians that are going to listen to this podcast, are going to listen to this interview, that are going to um, essentially be taught and trained how to think and comprehend the world uh, based off of this interview. And there are some pretty significant theological implications to what Kat and Shannon talk about. And so I was kind of curious, like, hey, should I even do this? Should I even um, attempt at trying to give a uh, a response, a theological response to some of the moments that stuck out to me that um, Kat and Shannon were talking about. And I decided to go ahead and do it. And here's why. I think it's really important that we engage culture. I think it's vitally important um, that we're not swayed by culture. And the only way for us to engage culture and not to be swayed by culture is for you and I to be rooted in the truth of the gospel of Jesus. We got to be rooted in the truth of the scriptures. And so this is kind of an exercise of theological engagement with culture, which is a lot of what you're going to find here on Humble Theology if you're watching on YouTube or on Theology Talk if you're listening on Spotify or Apple um, Podcasts. Like, like we're going to think critically, but compassionately and with an attentive and curious heart and mind, um, because there's something for us to learn, and there are some things that we are to reject. Um, and so I want to jump in, and I want to just kind of address 10 specific moments in this interview that I stopped, and I wrote down the timestamp, and I was just like, this is absolutely fascinating. And so I'm going to play these clips for us. And so again, if you are listening on the Theology Talk um, uh, podcast and you want to actually, you know, uh, see this, you can jump over to the Humble Theology YouTube channel um, or just listen in over here. So uh, I'm going to share this. Listen to this. Race is not where the line is drawn. It's God's side and the other side. 
And we don't care nothing about the other side. Period. Like, um, this is pretty, uh, pretty important. Notice what, um, notice what Kat says is he starts with, hey, here's the reality. There is uh, God's side, and then there's the other side. Um, what Kat is trying to do is help us see that, um, that there are two forces that are at work. Now, here's where theologically we have to just be um, precise with our language and our thinking. Yes, there are two sides, but this is not a yin and yang type of battle. This isn't like 50% good, 50% evil, 50% power on this side, 50% power on the other side. No, no, no. There's 100% power on the side of good. And there is a real enemy who is attempting through um, the supernatural realm, uh, in, uh, kind of counter uh, coexisting inside of the earthly temporal realm, uh, to to disrupt all of God's goodness, to despoil shalom, to um, create chaos and dysfunction and disunity amongst all of creation. And so, yes, there are absolutely two sides. There's God's side, and there is all everything else that is not on God's side. Now, what does this mean? This also means that there really isn't a neutral place when it comes to this conversation. Like we're all working towards or for something or someone. And so if we think that we're Switzerland, like we're not. We're either actively working to uh, promote and to advance the kingdom of God, or we're part of, whether passive or active, the plan and scope and scheme of the other side, in the words of Cat Williams, I'd call it the side of darkness, of, of evil, in order to um, destroy and disrupt all of the goodness that God has for us. And so you'll notice this particular kind of idea um, consistently kind of being communicated here. Um, and so, again, I think it's, it's really important for us to just pay attention to how um, he frames it. Okay, um, let's go to this next one. And, and again, this entire conversation is uh, being framed uh, by good and bad, by truth and lies. So here's the here's the next clip that uh, I thought was uh, super super fascinating. These people are not powerful. Satan can't create anything. That includes blessings for his people. Okay, again, uh, fascinating, fascinating. Satan can't create anything. Uh, including blessings for his people. Um, yeah, so, yes, this is actually partially true. Uh, Satan cannot create absolutely anything uh, he wants to create. Uh, Satan is a created being. Satan is a created being. However, very important for us to understand, Satan absolutely is able to corrupt things. And so while Satan can't create something out of nothing ex nihilo in the way that God can, Satan absolutely is in the business of corrupting things. And so when you think about receiving something from the enemy or you think about experiencing some type of counterfeit goodness from the enemy, what we are experiencing 
is something that is good that only God can create out of nothing, like good ex nihilo, something out of nothing, only God can do. So there's this goodness, innate goodness that God creates, and yet sin comes in and corrupts that goodness. And in the me- in the process of that corruption, the enemy is working to provide to you something that is actually broken and corrupted from the from the inside. And so what you have is a type of counterfeit goodness, a ty- type of counterfeit blessing that it, it promises something good for you, but in the end, it actually is only delivering pain and chaos and, and devastation. And so, um, and so, yes, uh, Satan can't create anything out of nothing, but, um, and I guess I should say, Satan can absolutely um, corrupt the good things that God has created. So part of our task in this process is to look at the innately good things that God has created and to identify the ways in which the enemy has corrupted it. Think about this. Sexuality is a great one. Um, God created sexuality for something very good. Like, like it was meant to be a blessing. It was meant to be something good. But, but there is a type of sin that steps into even sexuality that corrupts it and turns into something that was supposed to be um, absolutely pleasurably pleasurable and good within the context of marriage and and covenant. And and, and yet now. Uh, because of sin and the corruption of this good thing, um, it is can be it can be devastating for people uh, when it is um, experienced outside of the bounds of the goodness that God has created. You know, um, I mean, you can go on and on. Food, food, our food is good for us. Like we're meant to enjoy the goodness of food, but an obsession with food, where food becomes an idol. Um, that is a corruption of something that is good. Uh, even like really good things like um, like exercise, you know, like, 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 yes, we should exercise. That's a good thing for us to exercise. But if we get obsessed with it so much so that um, we actually attribute value, worth, and identity to the way our bodies look or don't look, this is a corruption of something that was actually very, very good that uh, the enemy can use to present to us like, hey, this is a blessing. Like, you want this? Here you go. It's good for you. But at its core, it's corrupted. And so part of our task as we're thinking theologically, as we're thinking spiritually, as we're just processing all of this, is to really, really consider, is there something that is innately good that the enemy has actually corrupted? And so Kat's absolutely uh, right on this. Satan can uh, can't create anything ex nihilo, um, but uh, he is absolutely able of corrupting uh, things that are very, very good. Okay, let's go to the next one. Again, um, there are these ones that are just, uh, again, I find them so, so fascinating. Jesus was my big homie. So you know how you get a story about a dude joined the gang and you get a big homie, right? Like at this particular point in my life, I'm my thought is that the Bible is the greatest book that's ever been written, okay. that it houses the truth, and that it gives you this story of Jesus, and that I'm supposed to be like him. Okay. So I, it's okay. This is like again, um, absolutely fascinating to me. Cat uh, Cat grew up understanding um, that there's something to Jesus. Uh, he literally says, Jesus was my big homie. And notice how he came to the conclusion that Jesus was worth somebody uh, pursuing, that the cat came to the understanding that the Bible was the greatest book ever written. It houses truth. 
and it gives the story of Jesus. So who is Jesus? Jesus is actually the the the, um, the embodiment of truth itself. And then Kat goes like, I just want to be like him. Like like this is this is absolutely powerful. Um, there's a part in the interview here where we found out that Kat's like a ferocious reader. He says, I don't know if it's believable, not, whatever, uh, absolutely possible, I guess, that he consumed over 3,000 books um, in a year and was just a ferocious reader for, for many years of his childhood. And one of his, one of his first tasks was actually to go through the entire encyclopedia. If y'all don't know what an encyclopedia is, it's kind of like the books that you kind of see behind me, but big, massive books that are alpha, um, alpha, alpha based off the alphabet. Um, I don't know how to say that word based off of the alphabet. And, um, you can read through them. Like it tells you like a dictionary, like everything that you need to know about it. And, um, he went through it. And this is fascinating again to me that here's somebody who has literally, uh, you know, based on what he said, like he's read through the entire encyclopedia. He has, um, read about some pretty fascinating things. And yet the one book that is the greatest book that is ever written is the Bible, the scriptures. And, and what makes the Bible the greatest book ever written? Jesus. Jesus is what makes the Bible the greatest book ever written. Why? Because the Bible is one cohesive story. You've heard me say this before. The Bible is made up of 66 individual books. So, so the Bible itself isn't a, uh, a book. The Bible is a library, 66 individual books penned by 40 different human authors, all being led, uh, inspired, and directed by one divine author around three continents with three languages over, um, over 2,000 years. Like, like we're talking about something that is fascinating and it all communicates one story. It's the story of Jesus, the story of God who desires to have his family back together. And so the central pivot point of the scriptures is the story of Jesus. And and here's Kat, who's literally, I mean, like, think about this, that at the time that I'm recording this, probably 30 million views. There are literally um, 30 million people, probably significantly more, that have literally heard this testimony, that Jesus is the big homie, the Bible is the greatest book ever written. What makes the Bible the greatest book ever written? It tells the story of Jesus. And, and if you believe this, like if you believe in the Bible and you believe Jesus is who he said he was, then, then why wouldn't we want to be like him? It is absolutely amazing to me that he would say this and he was so impacted by this. And I think there's something that you and I can absolutely learn from it. All right, let's go to the next clip. Team, you not only look like, okay, mama, I'm moving out. You moved from Ohio to Florida on your own. You weren't afraid. I mean, you like, did you? No, hold on. Did, hold did you on. not don't, have a, what, so what to? So, what were you going to do when you got to Florida? Don't say I wasn't afraid. There's no such thing as a human being of not being afraid. Okay. There are certain human beings that understand that being afraid in no way stops you from doing what you got to do. Okay. So um, I, w I was afraid, um, but I couldn't be that afraid because I knew what had happened with Jesus. I knew how it worked out. I, I, I knew that I wasn't in the wrong with how I was feeling, and I knew that I, I didn't have any bad intentions in it. Right. So I trusted God that it would work out. Why Florida? I mean, um, again, uh, it's this consistent uh, kind of return to 
Jesus. And so Kat's like, yes, everybody, everybody is afraid. Um, there's not one human being that isn't afraid. I mean, here's something that Kat is getting at that I would just say explicitly, like, like I truly do believe that Jesus experienced fear. How? Why? Jesus is the son of God. Well, Hebrews tells us that Jesus was like us in, in, our, in our humanity and in, in every way that in the hypostatic union that, that Jesus was 100% God and he was 100% man. And the, the text of Philippians 2, it lets us know um, that, that Jesus takes on humanity. Uh, he he puts on the clothing of humanity, and so he in that he experiences all the emotions that you and I would have experienced. Like, do we really honestly think that Jesus did not experience some form or high levels of fear, anxiety, um, and just um, concern as he the days leading up to the cross? Like he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, y'all. He is bleeding. Like he's bleeding um, from his head, from burst capillaries uh, around his head because of the anxiety of what he knows he is about to endure. Um, Jesus understands our pain. He understands our fear. And uh, and again, I just, um, I find it again, fascinating. You're going to hear me say this all the time. I find it fascinating. I find it fascinating that at these pivotal moments, uh, the thing that got cat through, it seems like, um, the thing that is what will enable you and I to get through, not around, not under, not short circuit stuff, but to actually get through it is a consistent return to Jesus. Like Jesus went through it. Jesus walked through it. Jesus um, is walking through it with you today that there is not one thing that... Um, that you and I can experience and walk through that Jesus is not empathetic to, that he is not um, considerate to, that he does not, uh, he's not willing to love us through. And that should be incredible, incredible encouragement for you and I today. All right, let's go to uh, the next one. It's anything once I left home that I hadn't signed up for. If anything, it saved my life. Me being homeless for that small. Really quick, he's talking about a season of his life when he's being homeless. And, um, and Shannon is talking to him about uh, what that experience was like. One of the big things that Kat talks about is the fact that he's never done any hard drugs. Um, and he's not been um, kind of committed over to those things. Uh, a period of time allowed me to see all of the people that were in that situation. And to see that these were lawyers and doctors and, 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 and he's talking about his time while he was living homeless and he was around all these people that were addicted and so he's just saying hey um i'm seeing all these different types of people there were lawyers there were doctors like this is the people that he was around as a young kid when he was living homeless teachers and that these people were white and black and asian and indian and the only thing that all of these homeless people had in 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 common was um they made a bad decision and aligned themselves with drugs. And I interviewed them all. What drug? What? And guess what, Shannon? What? Nobody had a great story. Nobody had a great story of what meth had done for them, what crack had done for them, what cocaine had done for them, what heroin had done for them, what speed had done for them. Nobody had them stories. Everybody's story was, I have my life together. And then I decided to do this dumb thing. And I lost my wife. I lost my house. I lost my cars. I lost my reputation. Um, it's brutal. Right? I mean, I mean, that is, it's, it's brutal. And um, notice what Kat 
is um, is saying to us. Like he experienced this. He interviewed all of these people. And in the midst of experiencing this and interviewing all these people and um, and really trying to understand their situation and how they got themselves into this massive mess, he comes to this conclusion. Um, like, look, they're lawyers, they're doctors, they're people just like you and I. They had a great life. They, they had everything going for them. They made one tragic mistake. They made one massive mistake. And they're living that situation, understanding exactly what that mistake is. I can't imagine what it would be like or feel like to be in that situation. But I think it's a good exercise for you and I to just consider it. To know that you and I are one decision, one simple and yet significant mistake away from being in that exact same spot. This was a, seems like uh, it was a definitive moment for Kat that he's like, there, there's nothing about this that I want. There's nothing good here. Whatever temptations, whatever high uh, these drugs can potentially promise to us is, is really just a massive deceit because it's going to put us into a pit, into a prison of, uh, of, of self-destruction. Like why, why would we do that? But what I think is really important here is not just thinking individualistic individualistically of like how it impacts me personally and why I wouldn't do it, but being um, aware and humble enough and and having our eyes open enough to to seeing the impact that it's had on other people. It's by actually being aware and seeing and considering the situation that is out in front of us that we can actually make wise decisions for ourselves. This is a life lesson for us. This is one of those proverbial kind of truths that uh, we can all uh, take into consideration. And so I think uh, this one is uh, incredibly important. This is also what leads Kat later on to talk about, uh, and we're going to share this one next, uh, why being sober-minded, like why, um, that's my phrase, sober-minded, but um, why it is so uh, important for uh, us to make sure that we don't compromise our mind, what we can do, how we think. Like, like that compromise of the mind is a serious issue. This is what Kat says about that. Anything that take over your free will is the devil itself. Okay. <laughs> Anything that takes over your free will is the devil itself. Um, this is massive. Cat is absolutely onto something incredibly significant. I just want to read a couple passages uh, for you. Here's one. First um, Peter five, eight, it says this, be sober minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour a little bit of uh, Greek and Hebrew or actually just Greek. Just a little bit of Greek here uh, for us. That that word sober-minded is the Greek word nepho. And um, the opposite of this word sober-minded is uh, a word that's used to describe drunkenness. It's metheo. It, it means to be intoxicated with nectar or used to describe the state of mystical enthusiasm in union with the deity. Interestingly, uh, in the letters of Paul, th that word metheo or methe, it appears in two viceless, two viceless, where it's cataloged as a work of darkness. 
and a work of the flesh. This is Romans 13, 12 through 13 and Galatians 5, uh, 21. So the idea that, that Paul is giving us is, hey, um, be sober-minded, be of clear conscience, don't engage and participate in things that's going to actually cloud your judgment, that's going to manipulate your mind, that's going to open you up to an alternate uh, view and way of thinking. Why? Because there's a real enemy who at the moment he sees that you're incapacitated and unable to think rightly is absolutely going to pounce on you, absolutely going to mess you up. This is why that opposite word metta is used in the two viceless and they're connected to the works of darkness. Be sober-minded, Right? Um, have the mind of Christ. Uh, don't be compromised in your thinking, but be rooted in the truth. Like, like all of this is, is really important. And this actually plays um, pretty, pretty specifically into um, the very next thing that uh, Kat's going to talk about. And he's going to talk about his exploration of religion. So he grew up in a religious childhood. He had a re religious childhood. His parents were very religious. Um, and it didn't sit well with him. There's a difference, it seems to me. This is just my understanding of listening to the interview and kind of uh, piecing some things together. It seems to me there was a difference between what he read about Jesus and the scriptures to the religious environment that he grew up in. Again, many of us can probably relate to that. Um, and yet what this led for him is to explore all of the different religions. And so Shannon asks him a question about this um, exploration, and this is what Kat says. Let me explain. Because my particular background was already religious mm -hmm. and super strict, right? I didn't find out about other religions by reading about them. I went to their religion. I, I, I don't want to learn from Jewish people from outside. I want to be in a synagogue. I, wanna, I, I don't want to learn about Muslim people from, I, I want to be in a mosque. I, I, I don't want to hear about the Baptist or the Pentecostal. I want to go to their church okay. and see. And so that was the religious discovery that I was on. Okay. Um, I think there's a couple things here that are um, really important for us. Uh, one is there's something here that, that Kat is saying that I just so appreciate. I just want to kind of be honest with this. I really appreciate his thoughtfulness and his um, just awareness of not wanting to rely on secondhand information to figure out and to understand the truth of what something actually is. Uh, I think about it this way. One of the best ways for you and I to share the gospel and the good news of, of Jesus is for us to actually invite other people into the church, into our lives, to experience God's goodness in and through our lives in such a way that they can uh, have firsthand, have a firsthand account of what's actually taking place. So they can say, yeah, I believe that or no, I don't believe that. Like, like that is a powerful witness, right? And then, and there's also, I would say, a little bit of a concern. I don't know if it's concern. Yeah, I think it's concern that I would just, or maybe a caution that I would just give you a caution. Um, that when we're talking about the religions of the world, uh, in these religions of the world, all follow after false gods. I use the phrase false gods, but I think it's really important for us to recognize that when I say false gods, I'm not talking about false in the terms of non-existent. I'm talking about false in the terms of they are not the one true God. They're not the creator of all things. They are created beings. Who are these created beings? They're the fallen sons of God of the Old Testament that um, if you read, I got to do a video on this at some point, but the Deuteronomy 32 worldview that uh, based on Deuteronomy 
Deuteronomy 32, 8 through 9, as read with the Dead Sea Scrolls and alongside of the Septuagint, uh, that uh, God for a season allocated the sons of God to the nations in order to guard them and protect them. He took Israel as his own inheritance so that he could bring them all back together. And yet these um, sons of God go into total rebellion. They don't guard, they don't rule over, they don't protect them um, underneath the authority of God. They actually take worship. They go into full-blown idolatry. And in so doing, this is the genesis. This is the foundation of the false religions, the false gods, the nations of the world. And this is the background of the entire Old Testament of what's actually taking place is that there are actual real supernatural spiritual entities that are fighting in such a way in order to corrupt and to usurp God's kingdom and to destroy his people. Uh, and so there has been awareness that that in our exploration of the other religions of the world, that we have to just be aware that, th that there are this isn't just fabricated. There's a reason why some of these religions have stuck around for so many years, generations, thousands of years. Um, it's because there are dark powers at, at play behind that are manipulating and deceiving humanity. And so one, I would just urge you to, um, to have some self-awareness, pray, ask the Holy Spirit, have some people around you that are close to you uh, to just confirm like, hey, um, you know, I, I have this desire to learn about the, the religions of the world. Um, would you pray for me? Um, would you just stay in touch with me? Um, would you just give me some advice maybe even on my spiritual maturity, where I'm at, if this is a good idea for me or not? And if it's not, it's probably a good invitation for you to dig deeper into the scriptures yourself so you can know exactly what God's word says so that as you are comparing the truth of the gospel with the counterfeit truth of the religions of the the world, you're able to decipher, oh yeah, here's how people get confused. This is 80% truth, but y'all, 80% truth with 20% error is still false. And so this is where we have to be really careful. Um, I've got a really good friend. His name is Jeremy Jenkins, and he's got an Instagram handle called All Things All People. Um, and he runs a, a ministry organization. I'll actually link to that in the captions or in the notes section of this episode. And, and, and Jeremy does exactly what Kat is describing here. Um, Jeremy is a, I would uh, consider him a leading of our generation, a, a leading scholar, um, theologian, and just mind uh, when it comes to the religions of the world and as a Christian how to engage with these religions. Um, Jeremy has been to India to study Hinduism. He has been um, to um, mosques and to synagogues. Like He has done exactly, exactly what Kat was talking about, what he did in his process to kind of figure out what is actually happening. Jeremy has done that with his team, and he's put an entire kind of organization together to equip us with resources so that if we don't have the time, the space, the capacity, I mean, I personally go to Jeremy on different questions when it comes to specific world religions because we need that kind of help. And so I'm grateful for the people that are out there that are already doing this in such a way that we can engage and learn um, and still be careful in the process, in the process. Now, dovetailing to this idea. So the religions of the world, there's specific language the cat uses that um, we really need to catch and to be aware of. Um, there is a lot of conversation of the Bible and of Jesus and, and all of that, but there are other terms that Kat uses that should, in our minds as we're thinking about this, go, we should be thinking like, wait a minute, huh? What, is, what does that mean? And what do you actually mean when you say that phrase? So, so here's one. Let's see if you guys can catch it. Your talent doesn't support it. 
you should fall by the wayside, and the guys that have the talent and they get elevated, they should move. No, that's here. They're talking just as context. They're talking about um, people who are good at their skill, people who are not good at their skill. Talking about acting um, athletes, and so basically, like, hey, if you're excellent, what you do, you should rise to the top. And if you are um, not excellent at what you do, then um, you should uh, probably not rise to the top. So I'm going to play that for you progress the guys that are not as good they should fall down by the wayside that's natural they're where they so you believe if your talent doesn't support it you should fall by the wayside and the guys that have the talent and they get elevated they should move no that's what water says that's what the universe say the universe say the levels <laughs> every no i don't not i say who am i i'm nobody okay but i'm um he's like no not me not I, I don't say that. The, this is what the universe is saying. Not I, the universe. Now, this is the first time that Kat talks about the universe. Actually, technically, it's the second time. Um, he, he has a phrase about the universe before that. Uh, and, and so you're going to notice a, a conflation of terms or thoughts or ideas. Um, and so, again, just think about this. What does that mean when we say the universe is saying this? What are you and I attributing to the universe? What are you and I saying is true about the universe? Right? Okay. Again, this isn't the only time. Let's go to the um, to the next time that he says it. And um, again, fascinating, fascinating. Here we go. They wanted to give me a start, but. Please don't consider me in this, this. Okay, again, for context, I keep forgetting to do this. For context, they're talking about somebody who, um, a gal who's a comedian that deserved a star um, on Hollywood, I think it was. And um, she was passed over, essentially, because she didn't have money. There's some complexities to the way the industry is, is run. And, and Kat's like, hey, like, I'm there. Like, I'm, I'm already in the Comedy Hall of Fame, like all this other stuff. So the context is around this individual who has literally been passed over, not because she didn't deserve it, but simply because she didn't have the money, potentially, supposedly. This person been sitting on this list this whole time, and just because they ain't got enough money, they can't get they just do? That's crazy. When do you start? That, that's hurtful. What if somebody can't afford their flowers? You mean they don't get them? No, God don't operate like that. He would send a dummy like me to come and take care of that. Just so that the right thing happens. That's how the universe works. All right. <laughs> you see that? Uh, uh, like what I love about this is, um, yeah, that is, that is, this is exactly how God works. This is exactly how God, God works. This is exactly how like, like he will use anybody and everybody, uh, for the sake of, um, his goodness, you know, for, for the sake of, um, elevating the people that he wants to be elevated and to um to to make sure that his will is actually done like you know there's so many passages of scripture that uh, talk about how god um is um is using the weak and the vulnerable and the downcast in order to show his power and his might and, and so there's a part of this i just love about what cast is like no like i can use a dummy like me like no i'm like so that's great but then at the very end, he says, this is how the universe works. So the third time, why am I so concerned about this? God and the universe are not the same thing. God is uncreated. The universe is created. God is eternal, past, present, and future. 
um, all of creation has a beginning point. And what we know as creation right now, it actually has a definitive end point before the new heavens and the new earth are going to be recreated and restored and renewed. Like, like the universe itself is a created entity. It is a, it is a not even an entity. That's the wrong word. It is a created reality. The universe is not sentient. <laughs> the universe itself does not have a will, doesn't have an ambition, doesn't have motivation. The, the universe itself does not decree this is what should be and this is what should not be. Like That is not the role of the universe. When we do that, when we conflate what is true exclusively of God and we place it onto the universe as if the universe is the one that is doing something grand and gracious, we're being conned and manipulated into believing that the universe is so much more than it is. It's not. The universe is what you and I as created beings, we live in. The universe was created. But God is the creator. God is the one who's working in and through creation within time and space. God is the one who saw fit for Jesus the Messiah to come to redeem and restore all of human humanity. God is the one who is a good father who desires for his family to come back together. God is the one, no, not the universe. It's God. And so I think it's, it's really important to not to just be so, I want to be like just clear, crystal clear. No, it is not the universe. It is God. Here's the, here's the last one. And this is the one that, it probably shook me the most. It shook me the most. Um, Kat has adopted seven kids, and Shannon, at one point, you're going to hear here uh, here in the interview, um, Shannon uh, is just kind of wondering, like, why? Like, why'd you do that? Why did you um, adopt these children? And uh, this, was, this was Kat's response. If there was a God, what would he think about you if you did that? I'm saying let's just let's say for example okay. that God is real. Yes. Okay. And let's say he be looking at what you do. Yes. What would he say if you did that? He said that cat. That's that's a very that's a very kind gesture. That's very generous no. of you. My whole life, since I was telling you when I was young, and they was asking me what I wanted to be, and nothing I wanted to be was mm -hmm. what I wanted to be God's friend. That's a weird thing if you are atheist. If you're an atheist, I didn't even say nothing. But if you believe in God and I tell you that I wanted to be God's friend and I wanted to even go to Hollywood and still be God's friend, if I told you that that was my aim, you could understand where I'm at. Like, um, his whole aim, he just wants to be God's friend. Um, can you imagine that? Well, I hope, I hope you can. I hope you can imagine that. What would it be like to know that you are the friend of God? Yeah, you're a child of God, but you're also a friend. That both of those things could coexist together. What a powerful thought. I think of John 15, 14, where Jesus is talking. And Jesus says, he says this to his disciples, to all of us really saying, he's like, you're my friends if you do what I command you to do like um there's something that's beautiful in what cat is just saying he's like man I'm, I'm doing this because like remember earlier he's like the bible talks about jesus i believe that you know like like the bible is the greatest book ever told and, and jesus seems to be legit like i'm kind of putting words into cat's mouth here but like you can go back and listen to that section and that frame that that 
did something to him to the point where all the way here two hour mark into the interview he finally just says like my whole life since i was a kid i wanted to be god's friends god's friend i wanted to get to hollywood and still be god's friend now here's where i think it's really important for us to recognize theologically and and practically and spiritually like you and i are god's friend but this is incredibly important and even what Jesus is talking about here, like when he says, you're my friends, if you do what I command you to do, that that our doing is not um, in order for you and I to achieve salvation. Like salvation has been given to us, granted to us freely by the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Um, this friendship, though, is absolutely connected to the, to the overflow of our gratitude and our love and our appreciation for what Jesus has done for us. Like, why wouldn't we want to be a people who do this for others? Why wouldn't we want to be a people that that share the testimony of God's goodness in our lives uh, to them? Like, why wouldn't we want to participate in that? So this isn't a works-based righteousness where we do and do and do, and maybe we can be God's friend. It's, no, we're we're children first because of what Christ has already accomplished on the cross. And then we experience the friendship of Jesus as we're just faithfully living and working out the reality of the finished work of the cross in and through our lives. There's a lot here. I don't um, necessarily recommend that everybody goes and listens to this entire interview. That wasn't the point. Like I'm not promoting this interview. I'm not promoting Cat Williams and his stand-up. I'm not promoting Shannon Sharp. I mean, um, you know, like that's not the, the point, but the point is that there are going to be, there are, there have already been, there will continue to be millions and millions of people. And there will be a, a small little tiny, like a minuscule fraction of those people that even listen to this or watch this. And, and yet if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, or if you know somebody who is a skeptic, who's thinking critically, who's just fascinated by this conversation as much as I would, like I would just encourage you to maybe share this YouTube video or to share this podcast episode so that you can give a, a very tangible example of what it means to to think theologically, to think the thoughts of God after him and to engage with culture in such a way that um, that, that we want to engage but not be consumed by, manipulated by culture. We want to bring the truth of the gospel into the very midst of culture and be able to engage with it and to say, yeah, this is beautiful and yet this needs reorientation. Um, this is false and this needs to be addressed with the truth of the gospel. Uh, and so hopefully I was able to model some of that with you. In, in the comments or uh, whatever, uh, feel free to just jot your own thoughts, your own ideas, uh, areas of agreement, areas of confusion, things you're like, oh, I'm not quite sure about that. Um, I welcome all of that. I'm so grateful for uh, the opportunity for you and I to just think God's thoughts after him, to do theology through a posture of humility. 